Man, this is an amazing couple, and their ministry is fantastic, just being able to hear about it. So I would encourage you to talk to them after service today, uh, hear more about their story, about who they are, uh, and then I believe y'all are here for a couple days, right, still? So take them out to a meal, take them out for coffee, hear what they're doing, and we do support them as a church, uh, but that doesn't mean they don't need more support. So if you and your family uh, is led by the Lord to support them, we would strongly encourage that. Uh, it's a way that you can actively be helping out the kingdom of God in a very real way. And so thank Thank you very much, guys, for being here today. Well, today is uh, a continuation in our uh, sermon series, Revival. Uh, today is actually the last day, and I am, I'm glad that we've been able to walk through Revival together. Uh, my name's Nathaniel, by the way, for anyone who's new here. <laughs> my name's Nathaniel. I'm the missions guy here. Uh, and if you are new, please fill out a connect card. It's in the rows. That way we can just get to know you and pray for you throughout this week. We would love to do that. There's also Bibles in the rows uh, and in the back at the information desk. And so that's our gift to you. If you don't have a Bible or someone you know needs a Bible, please take it. And so today, uh, being the last uh, sermon in the Revival series, it's a pretty special day, and that means we're also starting a new series next week. And so our new series is going to be over the Apostles' Creed. And so the Apostles' Creed is a statement of belief for Christians. It's basically saying exactly what you believe if you call yourself a follower of Jesus Christ. And it's a creed that was written many years ago. Uh, the first written document, uh, first written record we have of it was in 300, uh, man, I just lost it, AD, <laughs> there we go. And so, uh, like this is from the very beginning, from the early church. Matter of fact, it's believed that the, the first apostles were the ones that wrote this. That's why it's called the Apostles' Creed. And so I don't want to give too much about it. Uh, we'll get into that throughout the series that we'll be doing through the rest of the summer. Um, but it, it's this clear map to a solid understanding of God and what he has done for us. And so today is actually the perfect sermon to both close our revival series and to go into the Apostles' Creed series. Because today we're talking about the root of our faith, the gospel itself. See, understanding the gospel is essential to being a Christian. It's essential to us living our lives to honor God. And revival is a work of God in the people of God to grow closer to God. And to do that, though, we have to have a clear understanding of what God has done. And we've talked about that through this series, about having a better understanding of who he is and the nature of God. And growing in that relationship means we have an actual relationship with him. And the gospel is the, the root of all of that. It's the foundation now, the gospel itself, that phrase, means the good news. And so the gospel for Christians is the simple yet extraordinary truth of what God has done and continues to do in the lives of his people through Jesus Christ. And it's called the good news because it really is the greatest news that we have in the whole world. It's the greatest news that we have because it is the news that we can be saved from punishment that we deserve through the actions of Jesus Christ on the cross. It's the best news. And so my question to you 
throughout this whole time is can you articulate the gospel? If I came up to you right now and said, hey, tell me what the gospel is, do you have a good answer? Would you be able to immediately respond in a very clear, concise statement, just a sentence or two? Over the last few weeks, I've been asking multiple people, what's the gospel? Just to see what they would say. And a lot of people couldn't answer right away. Actually, the majority of people, even strong Christians, had a hard time articulating what the gospel really was. Now, a lot of them eventually got there, but it took an entire conversation as they kind of worked through their thoughts. Because the truth is that we, we do know what the gospel is. We know the that Jesus died on the cross for our sins, and we, we understand what the gospel is, but we don't think about it that often. The gospel becomes something that we assume that we know, and so we put it on the back burner. We focus on other things. See, there's a danger in that, though, because when you begin to assume the gospel, that's when you eventually forget what the gospel is. Or even worse, you corrupt it by putting parts into the gospel that's not really there. But it's been so long since you've revisited it, been so long since you've reminded yourself what the true gospel is. And there's a lot of people around us who also don't know what the gospel is. Or they have assumed the gospel. And so the gospel is important to know. And it's something that we need to be able to articulate, be able to say clearly Today is Father's Day, and so happy Father's Day to every dad out there. It also made me think of my dad in light of this. And my father was a great dad, but one thing he really hammered into me and my siblings was the gospel. Before we could open gifts on Christmas, my dad would preach the gospel to us. Throughout the whole year, different events, he would always preach the gospel. Every single time we got in trouble and he had to discipline us, he would preach the gospel to us before he would discipline us so that we understood why he was disciplining us. The gospel was saturated in my childhood. And I didn't even come to know the Lord personally until university, But it happened because my father instilled the gospel into me, so I knew it even as a non-believer. And then when that moment came that the Holy Spirit worked on my heart and softened it so I could understand it, I was there. I was ready. Having the gospel as a foundation of your life will influence it throughout your entire life. And so today we're going to be in 1 Corinthians 15, 1 through 6. And this is where Paul is telling us straight up what the gospel is. So I'm going to read this passage, we're going to pray, and then dive into our time. So 1 Corinthians 15, 1 through 6. Now I would remind you, brothers, of the gospel I preached to you, which you received in which you stand, and by which you are being saved, If you hold fast to the word I preach to you, unless you believed in vain. For I delivered to you as of first importance what I also received. And here it is. That Christ died for our sins in accordance with the scriptures. That he was buried, that he was raised on the third day in accordance with the scriptures. And that he appeared to Cephas, then to the twelve. Then he appeared to more than 500 brothers at one time. 
Lord, I thank you so much for today and the opportunity to be able to worship you, to be able to glorify you, to be able to come together as a family and, and just submit ourselves to you. And that's what I ask right now. I ask that you help me to submit myself to you. This time is your time. It's a message that you have for your people, and I ask that you just use me to be able to deliver it. But it's not me, it's you, Holy Spirit. You are such a good father and a wonderful creator who loves us and cherishes us. And I ask that you allow us in this time to be able to understand your word, understand your message, and that you work on our hearts together. In your holy name, amen. So I've got two questions for us today that we'll just walk through. First is, what is the gospel? We're going to walk through the components that make up the gospel itself. And the first thing that we need to understand about the gospel before we talk about that is that it's a work of God. It's action that he takes. Throughout this entire passage, it's all, it's all about the action of God in, you know, Christ died he was buried, he was raised from the dead, and he was seen by many. It's things that are happening, that God is happening, or that God is doing. And secondly, it has evidence. Throughout this, he not only tells us what happened, he tells us why we should believe that it happened. He gives us evidence. And so as I walk through the components of the gospel, I'm also going to give you the evidence that Paul gives us in every single point. And so first part of the gospel says that Christ died for our sins. That means first part is we are sinners. Romans 3.23 says, For all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. We have all messed up. We are not perfect. If I go to any of you and you say that you haven't sinned, I could point out many, including the lie you just told me. We're all sinners. We've all messed up in our life. That's a fact. Numbers 32, 23 says, but if you will not do so, behold, you have sinned against the Lord. That's all of us. You have sinned against the Lord and be sure your sin will find you out. What that means is that there is a punishment for our sins. See, God is completely holy. He is completely perfect. He is without sin. Matter of fact, He is so holy that sin can't be in his presence. And so since we're sinners, that means we have sin in us. That means we cannot be in his presence. And see, that's that's the problem there. As sinners, we can't be in the presence of God. And so that's the first point, is we are sinners. And the evidence that's provided, I mean, it's our lives, we can all look at our lives and know that this is true. No matter how good you think you are, how many good things you've done, how many charities you've donated to or volunteered at, you can't make up for the mistakes that you've made. And so we are all sinners. And then the second component is that Christ died for those sins. You see, Jesus, he lived a life that was perfect. He came down into human history, fully man and fully God, which means that he experienced every temptation that we do, 
Every single time that we have a desire or an urge to do something that's not worthy of God, Jesus had the same. He gets it. He understands what that feels like. And yet he did not succumb to sin. 2 Corinthians 5.21 says, For our sake he made him, God made Jesus to be sin who knew no sin. So Jesus knew no sin in his life, but God made him to be sin, meaning he took on all of our sins, all sins that we've ever committed or will commit, and took them on himself so that in Jesus we might become the righteousness of God. And so the whole act of Jesus dying on the cross means that our sins were taken on him and then he paid the punishment, the cost for those, so that we will be seen righteous, meaning that we'll be seen as perfect, so that we can be in the presence of God. Because remember, God is perfect. He cannot have the presence of sin around him which means we can't be around him. But Jesus dying on the cross gives a way for us to be able to be in the presence of God. That's amazing. That's a big deal. See, in the Old Testament, they used to have to do all these sacrifices. They would have to take the the best animal that they had in their flock or the best fruits, the best harvest, and they would sacrifice it to God to pay for and atone for their sins. Jesus lived perfectly so that he could be a perfect sacrifice. Not just for one sin, but for all sins. Pay the cost for all sins. And the evidence that Paul provides for Christ actually dying for our sins is when he says that Christ died for our sins and that he was buried. Now see, at the time When you said somebody was buried, it was basically saying that's it, that's final. Like this is is how you know it's done. And so him using that language, him specifically saying he was buried means that man, the medical examiner checked him out and he got put in the grave. He is done. They knew he was dead. There was no doubt. Because a lot of people at the time were saying, oh, he wasn't really dead. Like it was a trick. They tried to you know, just trick us by, I don't know, putting him in a tomb where he could suddenly revive from all the wounds and the stabs and everything that he experienced and come back. And Paul is saying, no, that's not it. Like, he died and he was buried. There was finality to it. It was finished. And so there's evidence, he says, that we should believe that he did die. And so we are sinners. Christ died for those sins. And third, that our redemption, that that plan was God's will. Twice in just these couple of verses, it says, in accordance to scriptures. God had a plan from the very beginning to redeem his people. Sin is not something that caught him off guard. It is not something that was unexpected. And we see evidence throughout Scripture, throughout the Old Testament, written centuries before Jesus showed up, talking about that moment and what it was going to do. Isaiah 53 is one of the best places to look for messianic prophecy. And those are just prophecies written a long time ago, before Jesus came, 
foretelling what he was going to do and why he was going to do it. And so I'm going to just read uh, verses 5 and 6 in 53, because I think this covers, I mean, pretty much the whole gospel right here. And it says, but he was pierced for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities, meaning that he died on the cross. He suffered that pain for our sins. And upon him was the chastisement that brought us peace, that brought us the ability to be able to seen as righteous, as holy. And with his wounds, we are healed. We are made new. We are turned into a new creation. All we like sheep have gone astray, and we have turned every one to his own way. And the Lord has laid on him the iniquity of us all. Jesus dies in a brutal way. And yet, through that, he was able to take on our sins. And it was foretold so long ago, before it even happened, because it was a part of God's plan, because God saw that we were separated from him through sin. There's this chasm that we could not cross, and he wanted relationship with us. He wants relationship with you, and so he makes a way for that to be possible through Jesus Christ. It's all about relationship. And so we are sinners. Christ died for our sins. And our redemption is God's will. And then the last component of what the gospel really is, is that Christ was resurrected. It says in verse 4 that he was raised on the third day. Remember, he said very clearly that he was buried. That means he was done. Death was there. The resurrection is something that is very difficult for us to understand. I mean, if, if we went onto the news and we saw that they were saying some dude died, and they had the whole service for him, he was buried, and then he comes back, we wouldn't believe it, right? I wouldn't believe it. It's something hard for us to believe. At the time, it was the same thing. It was hard for them to believe But the resurrection is the key component of all of this. Without the resurrection, none of it matters. See, death is our greatest enemy in this life. We have our life, and then when we die, it stops. It's terrifying. A lot of people are scared of death. Jesus, through the cross, through dying entering into death, and then rising from the dead, he was saying that death has no hold over God. That death, even though it's our greatest enemy, is nothing to him. He takes one of the biggest negatives in our lives and turns it into a positive thing. Because death then becomes something that we not only look forward to, but we actually cherish in a way. Yes, we have a purpose, and this life is wonderful. God has made it so that we can enjoy life to the fullest here and now, but we have nothing to fear from death because Christ conquered it. Christ has taken death and given us hope. And the evidence Paul gives us is that there were eyewitnesses to this. 
he gives us over 500 people who saw him. Now, if we go back to that news story and we see that dude, was, dude died, he was buried. Let's say he was even on television, like the whole ceremony. Let's say the president dies. And he was buried and everything. And then he rose from the dead. We wouldn't believe it, right? But if over 500 people saw it, that's, that's, that's good eyewitness testimony, right? And so we have, we have eyewitness testimony giving evidence that Jesus rose from the dead. Through the power of Jesus and, and God, we have this amazing story that we can believe as truth. And so what's the gospel? We've given four components. What's the gospel? Very clearly stated, the gospel is that we are sinners who are separated from God because of our sin. He sees this and he makes a way for us to be able to be in his presence, to have a relationship with him by Jesus coming down into human history and dying on the cross to pay the cost for our sins. He rose from the dead, conquering death so that we may have eternal life with him. That's the gospel. Right there in a very clear statement, that's what the gospel is. Now why should we know what the gospel is? Why is it important to not only be able to just listen to it and know it and kind of have it in our heads, but why is it important for us to be able to actually just say it? Why is it important for me to be able to come to you and say, what's the gospel? And you just tell me without a second thought. Well, first it's primary. A first importance is the phrase that Paul uses in this passage. Now that in the original language is protos, which means that it is chief amongst all things. It is primary. It is first in time or place or rank or influence or honor. It is the chief thing before all else. That means that if you spend your entire life studying every other part of theology, every single part, you read all these books, you do all this stuff, and yet you don't understand what the gospel is, then it doesn't mean anything. The gospel is primary, and it's primary because it's foundational. The language that Paul uses says that we need to stand and we need to hold fast onto the gospel because our faith rests on the promises that we see in the gospel. Our faith rests on the resurrection of Jesus Christ. See, in Romans 8, he talks about uh, how we are adopted as sons and daughters. And the theology of adoption is very important for us. You see, God did not need to adopt us to be able to fulfill his plan to justify us, meaning that he could have taken our sins and washed them away and not brought us into his family. But we see that God took a step further, that he chooses to adopt us into his family. He wants to have an intimate relationship with you. And so we see that the adoption saying that we are sons and daughters of God when we enter into relationship with him, the key of all of that is the resurrection. Because without the resurrection, then we have no resurrection. 
And scripture teaches that when we die, we will be resurrected alongside the Father. And we will spend eternity living with him and worshiping him and being able to have a relationship for all time. That's amazing, guys. When we have a true understanding of the gospel, it changes everything. We can live a life now without fear, without anxiety, without worry, because we understand that we have eternity with God. This life is difficult. I mean, we see it throughout Scripture. Matter of fact, we were just in 1 Peter, and what's 1 Peter about? It's about trial, suffering, tribulation. So yes, life can suck sometimes. But what the gospel gives us is hope. Hope that no one else around us has. We all have friends, we all have family, we all have people that we interact with daily who have no hope. They go through life not understanding that there's something more to everything around us. Now that I know what the gospel is, now that I have a relationship with God, I can't imagine a life not understanding who he is and not worshiping him and being in relationship with him. And so it becomes very primary and foundational, first importance for me to understand what it is so that I can share it with other people. Because it is the gospel, it's the good news, it's the best news. And so that news needs to be shared to all. We hold fast to the foundation of the gospel because the death and resurrection of the king and his victory over death for us changes everything. And then third, it's how we are saved. It is very clearly how we are saved from our sins. And so that alone, that statement alone, means that we have to know what it is. If we are going to be believers, if we're going to be Christians and follow God, we have to know why. And, how, and what we know is that he has died and that he has risen from the dead. And we also know that Christ never fails on his promises. If we go back and look at all those prophecies, and believe me, there's a lot, then we see that God's uh, will, his plan, had redemption for us throughout all time. And we see promise after promise after promise built upon. And then when Christ came, he fulfilled all those promises. Christ has never let us down. He has never failed to deliver on his promises. So why would we think that he's going to when he talks about the eternal life that we will share with him? See, we press onward in this life. We endure everything happening because we know that we are saved by the grace of God and we have that hope. I've talked before about how I, uh, how I struggled with depression in my life. And it's been something that I've, I've dealt with even as a believer. There's a time before, uh, before I was a Christian, I was a senior in high school. And uh, I mean, things, things weren't bad 
per se, but depression doesn't really make sense, does it? If anyone's experienced it, you know it doesn't really make sense. And I felt so very alone that whole year, and it was, it was difficult for me, and I, I was really struggling with my identity and with who, uh, who I was, and, and just everything about life seemed to be tumbling and just spiraling. I mean, that's what depression is. There came a night once, and it was uh, in the spring, I, re- I remember, because soccer had just ended, um, and I was a soccer player, and that was a big part of who I thought I was, was an athlete, right? So soccer ended, and I was just feeling very hopeless. So I came home one night, really late. I, w- I had been out partying um, with some dudes, and I came back really late, I don't know, maybe like 1 or 2 a.m., and... Uh, I was just really feeling depressed and, and anxious, didn't know what to do with myself, uh, and I always carried a pocket knife with me, and so I took that knife out, and I was ready to slip my wrist and just be done. I sat there in our living room for, man, I don't even know how long, for a while, and I just sat there with the knife on, on my wrist, just thinking of all the reasons why I should do it. And, and we can tell many lies to ourselves. We're in moments of weakness, right? And so I'm just sitting there, and all these negative thoughts are hitting me and attacking me. I mean, it is late, and, you know, dumb decisions happen then, too. And so I'm just sitting there, not knowing what I'm going to do. And then all of a sudden, something came to me in that moment. What came to me was the gospel that my dad had told me over and over and over. The gospel that I, yes, was a sinner, and yes, I have messed up my life in so many different ways, but one, I had a dad that was in that house who loved me, and then I did have another dad, a heavenly father who loved me more than I could comprehend. And I had seen the evidence of that in my own father's life. I knew that my parents loved the Lord, and I knew that God was real. I just didn't think he actually cared about me. But in that moment, I just remembered exactly what my father had taught me throughout the years by preaching the gospel to me, by articulating the gospel to me. So I stood up, I dropped the knife, and I went to my parents' bedroom, and I actually woke them up. And at this point, I'm bawling. And I told them exactly, you know, what had just happened and where I was. And I was like, I don't know what I'm going to do. I was kind of half expecting them to freak out, you know, in a way. <laughs> and I still remember the first thing that my dad does is he preaches the gospel to me again and says, let me pray for you. <laughs> That's all he did. And him and my mom, they just prayed for me said, we love you, God loves you, he wants you, and he wants to be in a relationship with you. And then they sent me to bed, trusting that the Holy Spirit was going to guide my life in that moment. I didn't become a Christian then. I didn't become a Christian until about a year later. But the gospel is so powerful that it can influence somebody. It can influence our lives in such a dramatic way because it is truth. It is the only truth that's really worth knowing. 
so I encourage you to know what it is. Know what the gospel is and be able to preach it to yourself and to each other. The gospel is so powerful and it is life-saving. 2 Timothy 1, 9 through 10 says, God who saved us and called us to a holy calling, not because of our works. It's not because of what I do or what you do, but because of his own purpose and grace, which he gave us in Christ Jesus before the ages began, which now has been manifested through the appearing of our Savior Christ Jesus, who abolished death and brought life and immortality to light through the gospel. Man, we are saved by grace through faith in Jesus Christ, in the gospel that's told in the Holy Scriptures, that Christ died as a sacrifice for your sins, for my sins, paid the cost, and then he rose from the dead so that we can have eternal life with the Father. We can enter into a personal relationship with God, and we can hold tight to the hope and the promises told in Scripture and in the gospel all according to his will and for his glory. That's the gospel. And I know it's basic and I know it's, it's this thing that you think, man, I, I know what this is. But it is life-changing. And the moment you start thinking that it is too basic for you to remember, it is something that is just too simple for you to tell yourself again and again, that's when you're going to assume it. That's when you're going to forget it or worse, corrupt it. Remember what the gospel is and be able to articulate it, be able to say it with confidence because the gospel is how we are saved and without it, we are nothing. And so my challenge to you and my question is, can you articulate the gospel? Can you tell me what it is? So I got three challenges. One, I challenge you to know it. I challenge you to be able to say in a sentence or two what the gospel is. And two, I want you to practice it. If that means standing in front of a mirror by yourself and just saying it, do it. Practice it. Because you are going to need to preach the gospel to yourself. You're going to need to preach the gospel to others. And if you do not have it ready, you are going to forget it. And then the last challenge that I have is to share it. Preach the gospel to yourself. Preach the gospel to your spouse. Preach it to your children. Preach it to all your friends, your family, your coworkers. It is an extraordinary truth packaged in a simple statement that you can put into any conversation because it's worth it. You have no idea how that may influence somebody's life someday. So share the gospel. The gospel is the primary foundational truth that we rest on every single day. Please pray with me. 
Lord, I thank you so much for everything that you've done. I thank you for the gospel and how that has changed my life and changed the life of every believer in this building. And if there's somebody here that is not a believer, it can change their life too. Because the truth is that you love us and you want to be in relationship with us so much that you made it possible through, through the most terrifying means that we can think of. And so if there is somebody here right now that does not know who you are, I ask that you speak to their hearts. Let this be the time that you come to know who he is. If you've been going through life not really knowing where you stand, not knowing your purpose, having no hope, questioning what all of this is about, the truth is that it's about Jesus Christ. Jesus wants to be in relationship with you. So why wait? Today's the day. The Lord wants to be with you. He wants you to spend eternity with him. So God, I ask that you just work on all of our hearts. And those of us who already believe, let us be able to take the gospel and internalize it. Let it be something that we rest upon and we, we just love tremendously. Let it be something that we can repeat to ourselves and weep over because it is so wonderful. God, I worship you so much in this moment. You are so good to me and to everyone because you are a good father. As we celebrate Father's Day today, we can remember that you are the greatest father that we have, and we can remember that your promises will never be forsaken, that you will never go back on your word. We thank you and we praise you in all things that we do. And now we transition into a time of giving, a time of offering. And this is just a way that we can worship you. We can honor you and say that you are primary and first in our lives. So I thank you for this opportunity, for that's what it truly is. Just an opportunity to be able to glorify our Heavenly Father who has done so much for us, even though we don't deserve it. So we thank you and we praise you. Amen.